You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. I thought you said, I thought you were going to say you knew everybody here. <laughs> I know everybody here. That's a small town. You know, it's, it's sort of odd to be asked to read from a cookbook. Um, dramatic reading. <laughs> One large onion. We, we threatened to each read you know, a recipe, recipe out loud. <laughs> <laughs> when Rick said he wanted us to read, we thought, well, we'll show him. <laughs> so we have, to f- we have to find the parts of our books that are not One Large Onion. Um, and really, honestly, the hardest thing, actually, we're here to complain. <laughs> the hardest thing to, for writing a cookbook is just um, trying to not sound repetitive in your enthusiasm, because we're both like ridiculously enthusiastic. Um, we tire each other out. There, there is no ridiculously uh, enthusiastic when it comes to cooking, because, heck, you all have to eat every damn day. You might as well make it as pleasurable as you can. There's no reason That's not right. to. You tell them, Rick. <laughs> and then invite us it. over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah that's, nobody will ever that's do. step two. So it um, doesn't happen. So, okay, so I'm going to read. Um, this is so fun. It makes me feel like a real writer, real writer. Of <laughs> um, from um, my new book, new-ish, newest book, Get Cooking, which has been out for a few months. And um, just to say before I start the introduction, which might sound kind of um, elementary and beginner-ish, it is because this is a book for beginning cooks. Uh, of any age. Um, I, I wrote this book at the behest of my own children who um, were asking me, who were, actually my, it was from my son who was in his 20s and ha- he was in his first apartment and I was getting phone calls every Sunday which was his grocery shopping day um, from the grocery store from the first aisle and then I'd get another one from the second aisle <laughs> and then um, we, it was like this whole kind of had to be home on Sundays or I had to have my phone at the ready because he was really, he had figured out uh, that the only way he could afford to hang out with his friends and have a good meal, maybe with a, a nice bottle of wine, the only way they could do that if it was DIY. Because they would blow their entire year's uh, entertainment budget if they went out to a restaurant in New York. And it was crazy. It's a question of space and hanging out with people and having good food. So um, he asked me to write a few things down for him, and, and so I ended up writing this book called Get Cooking. Get Cooking. Get it. <laughs> it's like nothing like a sledgehammer. Okay, so here's, here's from the introduction to Get Cooking. We all love food, and we all know what we like. But for many people, sadly and frustratingly, the love of food does not necessarily translate into happy, good eating on a daily or weekly or even monthly or any kind of regular basis. Somehow, as our options have increased from restaurants and takeout to more and more frozen heat and eat options of every kind, the fine ancient craft of cooking itself has become, some, become something of a lost art. Why? <laughs> well, you're going to tell me. Why, what bridge is out? I truly believe the missing link is pure knowledge. Learning to cook for real and then falling in love with it so much that we actually find ourselves making the time for it is rare. Over and over, Uh, If we do this over and over, it becomes part of our lives. Here's the irony. Interest in cooking, at least interest in food, is at an all-time high. We love everything from watching cooking shows and cooking competitions on television to blogging about where to get the best banh mi sandwich, but that's not what I'm talking about. 
I, I mean, I wonder, I actually wrote, I mean, I wonder, because I have to write in their, their dialect. <laughs> I mean, I can't believe I put that in there. I wonder how many people are munching junk food or just plain not very good food while watching gourmet cooking on a screen. We've become kind of a nation, nation of nutrient and flavor challenged food voyeurs. Let's change that. I'm here to help. She is. They both are. Well, the thing that's so great about Rick, if I can blow his horn for a minute, is that he is so conscientious. He actually, he actually cooked our recipes a lot, and then I mean, really went into the kitchen and ro rolled up his sleeves and made these recipes. And um, we're relieved to tell you that they worked. They, apparently, they do. And they he gave do. us good feedback. So what would have yeah. happened if it had been a total disaster, Rick? <laughs> Would you have called and <laughs> canceled, you know? No, no, well. Said, I'm, I'm sorry, but we're getting, you know, that other cookbook writer in in your place. <laughs> I, I, I'm firmly of the belief that if you want to double your success rate, you have to triple your failure rate. You have to be willing to try. Not I'm everything you make is ever going to turn out perfect. No. So, but and let, uh, it, these will from the get-go. But once you get going with this, you're going to get inspired and start doing your own stuff. And that's the point. That is the Molly. point. Well, one time, you know, w once it works, you're very encouraged. I'm going to, um, go, go. should I keep going? Okay. Yeah. Bye. Sorry. I wanted to read my baked <laughs> potato uh, introduction, but I'll get there. Um, for starters, this is after I'm here to help. For starters, I'm exceedingly happy to present you with 150 delicious, doable recipes that even the most inexperienced person can walk into any kitchen right now and make for dinner tonight. The cuisine is what I like to call big tent accommodating a broad base of tastes and needs, vegetarian and meat-loving and everything in between. I'm talking about soup from scratch, pastas that are light and well-seasoned, salads you can make quickly and well, classic meat dishes with potato and vegetable sides to round them out, and plenty of vegetarian recipes, many of them vegan, that will please just about everyone. You'll find this food to be boldly seasoned. There's absolutely no need for beginning to mean bland. Very important. Very important. We got people getting in the garlic and the chilies mm -hmm. right out of the gate. And there are a lot of ethnic influences as well and flavors to keep things interesting. These recipes are written in a way that I hope you can grasp in a single read-through uh, with a list of ingredients that isn't overwhelming and step-by-step -step instructions that really walk you through the process. The key phrase is read-through, which I hope you'll take literally as a thorough grasp of the tasks at hand will make all the difference between driving the boat and drifting around at sea. I want to, oh God, this is getting so corny. I can't believe I wrote this. I, I want to stand, be, uh, editor, please. I want to stand beside you in spirit and in information, if not in person, as you cook, letting you know what to expect and what things should look like as your meal goes from idea to reality. Along with the recipes, I've also included many handy skills for learning how to to cook the food you love in your own, possibly first kitchen, in your own way and often. I hope these recipes and advice will give you both the knowledge and the confidence to find the link between your appreciation of food and your ability to prepare it with your own two hands. Joy and pleasure and fun and a newborn sense of accomplishment <laughs> can be yours. <laughs> All along the learning curve. Who wrote this? But, it's, but I, me I really mean it. So, um, Let me tell you something. That's true. Oh, that's see? actually, see, that's actually it's true. true. Once true. you get these books and well. get these kind of recipes going and you use them as templates, you start yourself going, 
you will look forward to cooking. It'll be your time to relax and decompress and forget about every other hellish thing that's charging down and threatening to drop you and make you yell and scream. I, I just can't believe that Molly talks in that polite tone of voice to her kids when she's telling them how to cook <laughs> and what to do in the kitchen. <laughs> that sounds awfully nice, Molly. Yeah, but they're in their kitchen, not in my kitchen. They're, 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 they're at least 3,000 miles away when you're talking to them like this, right? <laughs> so you cannot see them rolling their eyes. <laughs> yeah, well, what can I do? Um, he might have been rolling his eyes. Who knows? No, it's so, so polite. It's lovely. Well, I respect him. Especially now that he's following my recipes, so I just I, I, I just want to write I, I want to say a few words about potatoes. I don't know why, but just because it's like this a potato, it's just you know it's just a unit. It's a thing that you just can like just cook, and um, without you know and let it still have its own integrity and be itself. And it's so unintimidating. Um, it's a great place for people to start. And I just felt so grateful that I had the opportunity to write a cookbook with a recipe for a plain baked potato. But there's a picture. This is what it looks like. Potato. So just in the, in the, in the section is called Spud Simple. And then, um, uh, yeah, okay, so then, but I'm not going to read the recipe because it's really, really <laughs> simple. Potatoes are the original underground vegetable. Humble, not flashy. Satisfying and substantial. There when you need them. The best friend in the buddy movie of cooking. This gives them a noble quality that makes good cooks want to do as little as possible to them just enough to showcase their refreshing simplicity with a little butter or salt or olive oil, or all of the above, which I do. Um, parsley or onions, maybe, but not a lot of fuss and no sauce. Potatoes provide a delicious edible reminder that less is more. Okay. Baked potato is the mothership of the entire comfort food fleet. You are blissfully reminded of that when you cut into one and add your favorite touches of butter or sour cream, and you know it will always taste and feel a certain way. You're eating dependability itself. And it's peace of mind inducing as well as soothingly filling. So here's a dependable way to make one. And I will leave you in suspense. <laughs> Thank you, Molly. You're welcome, Rick. Thank you. Oh. <coughs> There's a theme here tonight, and Rick already filled everybody in. And I, I really thought, Rick, when you were talking, I thought, well, you know, I don't know if Molly and I can add too much <laughs> to that because he sort of made the case. Um, but I have to say, I've been on my soapbox about home cooking for a okay. while now, uh, forever, but for really strongly lately. And I, I suppose it happens when, you, when you've raised your kids and you see them grow up and you, and you see this whole other generation coming up and they don't, a lot of people don't seem as secure about home cooking and don't seem as comfortable with it. And I started to really think about it um, and what a loss that would be. And it's very funny because when I heard Molly reading, I thought I've written the, almost those exact same words in some magazine articles where I said, you know, people sit around and they watch uh, other people cooking on TV and um, then they order out, you know? And it's, this is what's happening now. And I, I know some people say they learn a lot from what they see on TV um, in the, you know, uh, cooking shows that they watch. But I really think what they really learn is that cooking is something that happens on TV mm. and not that it's something that you just can do 
and it's just regular and in your life, you know, <laughs> and normal people just do it every day. So um, that's the part I worry about. And uh, so I think Molly and I are on the same track here. We are really trying to speak to people who are not foodies, who are just normal folks, and especially the younger ones, like the, our kids and their friends, and say, you can do it, you can cook, anybody can cook. So Rick asked me to read this little section out of my rather long-winded introduction to, to Love Soup, which is about home cooking, um, so I will. It seems to me that soup is the last best hope for home cooking. So many people think they can't cook, they don't have the time, don't have the space or the right equipment, never learned how, fear they'll get it wrong. They watch someone else cook on TV, then order takeout. And so little by little, the comforting ritual and real bodily nourishment of home cooking slips out of our lives. Yet we long for it. We want to eat homemade food with our families. And wouldn't it be nice to invite some friends over for a casual meal? Soup is the way in. With soup, we can still cook at home, cook from scratch. Even a one-pot kitchen can handle it. Even someone who has never cooked before can fill that pot with bubbling soup. There are soups here with four or five ingredients, like the old-fashioned split pea soup or summer tomato. And for the experienced cook, there are soups of great subtlety. Christmas Eve porcini soup has the complexity of a perfume distilling the earth of ancient forests and the sweetness of winter onions cooked golden brown in butter, and the magic of cognac, all in a clear, delicate broth. If you're new to the kitchen, these recipes will be your patient and friendly teacher. Start with something really easy. Go ahead, no one is looking. Open that bag of split peas, put them in a pot with water, boil them a while, then add some cut up carrots, onions, celery, a few herbs. Leave that pot to simmer while you read a book or answer your email. Then finish it off with salt and pepper and eat it. You've made old-fashioned split pea soup. You're cooking. Even a luxury soup can be pretty easy to make. Perhaps it is autumn and you have a big butternut squash providing sculptural interest on your counter. Put that squash in the oven to roast. As long as the oven is on, why not roast a few root vegetables too? Cut up some onions, start them cooking slowly in a bit of olive oil. Stir, see, Molly, we did get to the onion. Yeah. Stir the onions while you chop some ginger or slice up a pear or both. By now, the house smells like heaven. Anybody who walks in the door will be your willing slave. <laughs> when the squash is soft, which you can easily find out by poking it, scoop it out. Then put those vegetables in a pot with some nice broth, simmer it a while, blast it with the immersion blender. There you are, a beautiful golden puree. Season it with salt and pepper, a little lemon juice. If you want to be fancy, stir in some cream or butter or mascarpone, or just a little more olive oil. Have you noticed that no measurements were mentioned in this little story? Spicy butternut and ginger soup, roasted kabocha squash soup, and celery root soup, all are that easy, and both are gorgeous and delicious. If you follow the recipe, you will have no problem. I write my recipes the way I like to get driving directions. A little extra information can't hurt. And if you're an intuitive cook and measuring with handfuls and dollops, then you'll find here a world of seasonal inspiration, wonderful starting points. So that's what I wanted to say about home cooking to people who might not have really done it or felt that they could do it. And I, I have to say that I, I came to a very much simpler way of cooking myself. This is one little piece of this sort of explanatory introduction because I used to live in a very big house and have fancy dinner parties a lot. 
and big events, you know, for the music festival and this and that. And then I moved uh, and uh, ripped down the new house that I had bought. So I was living in a studio, in a, a converted artist studio temporarily, where I had a, put in a very, very tiny kitchen. I would say about the size of this table we're sitting at here. And I thought it was going to be for, you know, three or four months. But, you know, raise your hand if you've ever done a remodel. I see somebody <laughs> nodding in the back with that, that look of chagrin and bankruptcy on their face. <laughs> um, three years later, I was still in the 81-inch kitchen. And that's when I wrote this book because I found that the one thing that I could not give up was I couldn't give up really having good home cooking. And I learned that the desire to have good, lovely, fresh food and even share it with your friends all the time did not need to be hampered by being in a teeny little space and with a teeny little stove. It was okay because you could do it all with soup. And, and that's why I wrote this book. And then I thought, really, for people who are looking for a way to approach home cooking and think that it's scary somehow, that this is it. Soup is the answer. So that's why I wrote this book, and, and that's the part of it that's more about home cooking, but very, I think a very important part of all of our lives, and you know, we carry so much with us um, through food. Uh, our culture, and our families, and our memories, and our, our, our community, and our society, and our tribe, all that stuff, you know? And, and I, I think it's a terrible thing. It's a terrible loss when we, when we lose that, when we're not all carrying it on in our little tiny piece, you know. I, I sometimes ask people, what, what does it mean? Are we really ready to, to give away our entire relationship with food to commercial interests, however good they are? And that, I think, is the question that's at the bottom of this thematically. Anyway, I went on a little bit long, Rick. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, because that's exactly, you are talking to exactly what I think this is all about. And I want to kind of start our conversation with, talk a, a little bit, you talk about the 81-inch kitchen. Um, let's talk a little bit about getting your space ready for cooking, because that's something that's really, I think, important that makes cooking so much easier. If you're going to do it every day, you might as well say for the last two hours of the day or so, this is my relaxing time. And the first, yeah. uh, rather than force yourself to try to cook a big meal in 30 minutes or something, if you give yourself a lot of time, you can go in there and take out, you know, the cutting board and put it out. And then I you put the cutting board down on the table, you put a knife on the cutting board, and then it's time for a beer. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, I think that, uh, it, you don't have to start with a big meal, first of all. You talked yeah. about making a big meal. If you look forward to cooking something most days, and maybe have a few days off in between, but on the days when you do cook, you might be cooking several, only several things, but large quantities of them, and then you can... Um, I, I, cook, I always cook with an eye towards leftovers. Mm. That really helps. Yeah. Um, but, but backing up from that, you were, you were talking about space before we talk about menu. You were talking sure. about just physical space. Sure. I'm, I'm amazed at how many... Um, fellow cooks, fellow professional cooks. We, Anna and I agree we don't like the word mm -hmm. chef unless somebody actually is a chef. Yeah. Um, I'm not a chef. I'm a home cook, and as, as is Anna. Yeah. And, um, but just people I know who are in the cooking field or who cook for a living or you know are bloggers or cookbook writers, how few of them actually have the big kitchens that are all remodeled and have all the bells and whistles. I'm always surprised at how 
small people tell me their kitchens are. I was just reading, um, have any of you read um, David Lebovitz's uh, Sweet Life, uh, Living the Sweet Life in Paris? Isn't he, isn't he hilarious? Um, he, he's this very, very well-known pastry chef who moved to Paris a bunch of years ago um, to be a, a food blogger in, in Paris, and he's still there. But he describes, when he describes how small his kitchen is, he talks about the spot where people bump their head, where um, <laughs> there's always this, this place, there's the place over there where people get the <coughs> concussion, and then there's, you know, um, and there's only room for one bowl, so that if he needs a two-bowl recipe, he has to take the bowl out of the room and put it on a chair in the other room. And then uh, and Suzanne, anyway. Suzanne Gowen, who's, of course, a fantastic, uh, she, she is a chef, and her restaurants are marvelous, but um, when she was working on um, the, the Supper's book, she was doing a lot of the testing and a lot of the recipes in her own home kitchen, her home kitchen, and she had a photographer there, and she said, this is where you realize, you know, how bad it can get with us, because the salad bowl is on the stove. I'm working on the stove with the salad bowl, you know, and she was in her tiny, tiny, tiny little home, you know, home kitchen. Yeah, so um, the point, I mean, one of the points is to um, use your stove as counter space. <laughs> um, I do it all the time. Uh, but be organized and tr you know, try not to do too many things and to plan it out ahead of time because um, we're all working in some kind of a of limited space. Um, and I always, I mean, this is going to sound like really, really dull and not, like, not what you want to hear, but it makes a huge difference. Really, really it does to completely clean up when you're done and get everything. She's right. I mean, it's not just fuddy-duddiness. It's only partly that. But it's in addition to that, it's like you're, you're, you're taking your kitchen seriously as a kind of sacred workspace, which I do. And... Um, so you can also use the same bowls over and over. I try to minimize, um, like in my recipes, I try to make sure, say for example, if you're baking something that has egg whites that are beaten until they form soft or stiff peaks and the egg whites are gonna get folded into something, but that's like step four. Um, I try to go through a recipe and um, kind of scope it out strategically for, I'm assuming that people at home are uh, have a limit beyond which they're going to not want to make these, you know, they're going to look at a critical mass of, of ingredients and a critical mass of instructions, and if the ingredients are one or two lines too long, just psychologically looking at the, at the actual print, if you're looking at books anymore instead of on your screen, um, then, you know, you won't make the recipe. So I try to, A, I try to keep it a reasonable length, and I, I keep it as simple as possible. And second of all, I keep my kitchen, I, I, I never expanded my kitchen because I want to feel like I'm in the same boat as you guys. So I don't have a big cook's kitchen. In fact, I don't think I could be a, as good of, I mean, I'm saying a good food writer, but I feel like I'm a realistic food writer, largely because I'm, I'm swearing when I drop the whisk, just like you are, because I didn't have enough space to put it down, you know, that type of thing. Um, but, uh, but keeping the space very well ordered and kind of cleaning up as you go, um, and also being willing to use the same equipment over and over. Oh, the point about the egg whites is that once you whip the egg whites in the bowl and put them, you know, you can use the same bowl. You don't have to wash it. I try to have as, as little washing as possible. One of the things I understand that we're all guilty of, at least I haven't seen it yet, I think we're all guilty of omitting in cookbooks strategies for cleanup. So, like, there's always, there's, like, preparation time. This recipe will take an hour. And then, then we got cuter, and we said, well, this recipe will take an hour. But it's, did you notice there was some and point where the fad, well, we didn't put that in there. <laughs> but we didn't, um, be honest. We, 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 we started to divide it into the, the prep time, but the, the cooking time, because the cooking time, it cooks itself, but the prep time is the time you're up. But nobody ever put in how much time it would mm -hmm. take to clean up. And I've been getting feedback. I, I do a lot of, um, I don't do a lot of social media, but I do a lot of uh, stuff on Twitter because I get tremendous feedback from people, both good and bad. It is very useful and very helpful. And one of, one of the things people started tweeting about my recipes was how, 
how long it took to, what a mess their kitchen was <laughs> when they were done and how long it took to clean up. But and I hope you told it. them that it was their fault no. and they were just messy cooks. <laughs> That's but the, but the bigger, the bigger, um, the bigger <laughs> picture really is, the bigger picture really is to absolutely decide I'm going to cook a few times a week and I'm not going to fight it and I'm going to dive in and I'm going to really shake hands with myself and make a, a, a commitment to really do this and I'm not going to be resisting it all the way. I'm just going to get in there and when I'm there I'm going to be fully, fully present doing it. And um, I'm going to do my enjoy very best. It. And enjoy it. And then you can really enjoy it. When you're not, I, don't, I do not know a single person who says, oh gee, I wish I had more time to like Google every obscure subject I've ever heard of. But life is too short. I just don't have time. I'm sorry. Because you just do it. Or I wish I had time to like watch the World Cup. But oh, <laughs> I don't have time. You know, if people do, if, if, if there's some, there's certain things you just do because you don't think about how much. So while you're busy doing those things, you, c you could be cooking. Um, I'd love to see, I, I'd love to see, and again, I'm not talking so much about space, although um, I do want to say, if, if you really want me to continue to answer your question about space, mm -hmm. there's one thing I've discovered recently, and that is that um, there are quite a few, and I had to address this for the young or the new cooks who have tiny, tiny kitchens. There is a new trend in cookware that, um, of things being collapsible. Have you heard of this? Mm -hmm. Collapsible colanders, collapsible mixing bowls. I don't know about collapsible cookware, but collapsible a lot of things that just fold into these flat disks and you just stack them up and so there's um, you can they take up less space in the kitchen if you can find them. Well, that would be nice. <laughs> I don't think I'm as organized as Molly. No. I have to admit, I, I just make a big mess when I cook. And um, and then every so often I can't stand it. I look at it. I go, okay, I got to stop. Clean up. Time to clean up. And I, I try to catch up with myself a little bit. And you know, I I think that the kind of space that you have to cook in is whatever you have, and whatever you and however you can make it what you like and how you feel good in it. Go for it. Some people like to have a lot of stuff stacked up on their counters. I actually like to not have. I, I make a discipline of having almost nothing have has a permit to live on the counter. You know, <laughs> it's the coffee pot has a permit to live on the counter. Practically nothing else, but um, but that didn't always used to be that way. Um, and I've cooked in very like the 81 inch kitchen. Of course, I wrote my whole last book in that teeny little kitchen that was supposed to be temporary for a few months. But now, I, now I'm in a big kitchen because I did finally finish that house hey. and moved into it. Um, and it's great, but the kitchen is sort of, I, I, in the new house, I made the kitchen right in the living room. It's just part of everything. I took down all the walls and I made it, it's just the hub of everything. Um, because everybody in, in my other house, everybody always used to just come into the kitchen anyway. So we had all these rooms that nobody would be in, and everybody would be crowded into the kitchen. I finally had to put a sofa in there, you know. And I thought in my next house, thinking that I was kidding and that I would never move, I thought I, I would just make this room a little bit bigger, and then it could be everything. It could be the living room and everything. And that's what I did. I have a very kind of, it's like a, almost like a loft, only it's a house. It's very open. And I have this giant, big island which is like more like a continent and it's kind of the hub of the house I mean everybody just comes and posts up there you know <laughs> and that's where everything happens so you know uh, and it's and that's wonderful but the teeny kitchen was wonderful too and one thing that I found that was great about the tiny kitchen was that I was forced to really edit all my stuff 
I had to, you know, w when I realized that I was going to be putting just about everything into storage, I had to think very, very hard and specifically about every inch of space and what I really wanted to have in there. And it was a very, very interesting exercise. It was a very interesting process to go through. And some of the results were surprising. I found room for my mocajete, which is that stone thing that they use in Mexico to crush, you know, chilies and, and, and cumin seeds and things, and which is big and heavy. Uh, I had no uh, microwave, no, a lot of that kind of stuff was just out. Um, I did have room for several really good bottles of olive oil. Um, I, I really peeled it down to, you know, a couple of good, a few good knives, a few good cutting boards, a couple of good pots and pans. I figured out ways to put everything away in that tiny space, and it was, a lot of it was hanging. And um, it worked out really well. It worked out really well, but two people could not be in that kitchen without getting intimate in various ways. <laughs> you were bumping butts all the time. <laughs> there was no way for two people to move around in there without that. But, but it can work anywhere. It can work anywhere that you're comfortable. And uh, I, I think the main thing is to know that you're gonna have a good time in your kitchen. For me, it, it always has been a relief from other things to go into the kitchen and cook. And I, I just, uh, you know, uh, was doing a lot of work in a very stressful business for, you know, most of my life, and I continue to in the film business. And, you know, that's the kind of business where you're doing the creative work that you're doing is, you know, a great idea is spread over years. You have this great idea, wow, this is gonna be great. And then come years of torture, and then maybe you get it done, and then, you know, it's like you finally get the result, you know? Um, whereas a meal, you can say, hey, here's a great idea for a meal. You can go to the store, get what you need, come back, cook it, invite some friends over, eat it, and have, you know, total uh, enjoyment and, 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 and result uh, an appreciation and all of those wonderful things all in the same day. It's like a little miracle. It, it's a one day, one, one meal, one kitchen, one person work of art that you can do every single day. Wow. And, and, and it's easy. And I think one of the things that, that I've drawn out of both of you from, from what you're saying is that it really helps to make, make and view your kitchen as a place where you want to be. To, yeah. to, and and yeah. that's why it's nice to clean up as you go or clean up your kitchen. So when you come there the next time, you're ready to go. And it's easy. to, And you can do that clean as you go. And, and now, one thing I wanted to talk to you about is to, to, to I, I'd like both of you to talk about how we should read your recipes. Because I think you guys are both really great writers, writers of recipes. This is a very particular form of, of literature that we're holding in our hands here. And, and by the way, I, I want to suggest that um, if you guys don't have these books, I can tell you personally that I've cooked about 30 recipes out of each of these books multiple times, some of them. I mean, it's... He is so diligent. I can't believe it. It's scary. Yeah. I, I, I mean, you know, it, I can only do like one recipe a night because, frankly, otherwise I would not be able to fit behind this table. But beyond that, the, these books are really... The thing about a cookbook is it's, it's a great investment this book is going to save you hundreds of dollars in food that you'll 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 make it yourself and you go why would i ever buy food because it's so much cheaper and so much easier to 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 make your own good food and well, it's rewarding i'm going to answer the 
uh, devil's advocate here, the reason you would buy your food is because you're t hungry and it's late and you're just getting home and you just got to eat. And or that's what that's what happens a lot to yeah. people. Mm -hmm. It's like I just the, you're, you're, it's like this is all very I, I'm going I'm, I'm going to play the I devil's do. advocate yeah. for a minute because of course we can sit up here and talk about how delightful and wonderful it is to cook, but there's so many things going on in people's lives. And sometimes you'll get sidetracked uh, in your day. We all do. I mean, I do. I, I write cookbooks for a living, and sometimes I look at the clock and it's like 8 p.m., and I haven't cooked anything for dinner yet because being a cookbook author doesn't mean that your daily work adds up to a perfectly balanced meal or any <laughs> meal at all. Or, I mean, people used to say to members of my family, oh, you live with Molly, you must, you must eat so well. And I remember my son saying to somebody once, well, not exactly. I mean, like right now, for example, um, there are, I think, 11 grapefruit curd tarts sitting all over the kitchen, and none of them is setting. And my mom's in a really, really <laughs> evil mood because she's been trying to get this tart to set all day, and there's nothing for dinner. <laughs> and that actually is a true story. Um, so I just want to say I sympathize. It's, it's one thing to be uh, very bushy-tailed about, isn't it wonderful to cook, when I, but to, to, to put on my devil's advocate hat and say, I understand that sometimes it's just you look, you're getting home and you were sidetracked and there's things that were stressful at work or you're taking care of somebody who's sick or you're busy with something that took you there and you're just, you're just really hungry. And you know you're supposed to eat five servings of vegetables a day. In my book, you're supposed to eat five servings of vegetable a meal. <laughs> and like, where are you going to get it? And how are you going to do it? And, and, you, and I know that people end up buying food be, uh, under circumstances like that. I can tell you oh, exactly I've, what I've, you're going to do. I've, I've eaten a power bar in the car on the way home from L.A. I mean, you know, it, for I dinner. See, I did see, I that. saw Anna's snack that, bag you know. in her car today because yeah, she yeah. drove up here from <laughs> Ojai. Well, you know, what you're going to do when you get home at 8 o'clock and you've got no food and, and you've got no money, you're going to go to your freezer and you're going to pop out a, a, a thing of frozen soup you made when you made exactly. your last soup, like, exactly. you know, you made 10 servings and there's only two of you in the family and you just freeze it, date it, and you'll think, you know, when you are doing that calculus, do I want to get up? go and get myself, spend 10 or $15 on some greasy food that's only slightly satisfying, or do I want to go to my refrigerator, my freezer, pull out something and nuke it for 10 minutes and I can sit down and go, oh my God, thank God. But I, I have to be, I, I'm going to be a devil's advocate too, because um, there's, a, there's a time to go out to restaurants that's wonderful, mm -hmm. and I love good restaurants, and I think that's a, a terrific experience, and there's not a thing wrong with that. And there's a time when, you, you know, you might want to stop and just grab when you're on the road doing whatever you're doing or you're off at work or something and you need to stop somewhere and pick something up. And that is all fine. The only problem is when that starts to be the only thing. Right. That's all. Mm. I mean, it's not, there's not a thing wrong with going out and having a wonderful, lovely restaurant meal. It is a different kind of experience. And in fact, I think that restaurant cooking good, really great restaurant cooking is a very different kind of cooking than what you do at home. And a lot of these books that are written by chefs from restaurants are really interesting and fun to read and wonderful to read, but not terribly useful maybe for the everyday life of most people um, in terms of, you know, a guide for how to do something yourself in your own kitchen. Well, of course, too, I, I have to admit that there's foods you just simply cannot cook at home. You cannot. There's nobody in this place, and there's nobody except for the guys at Rampart and Alvarado 
in Los Angeles who can cook you a Tommy's chili cheeseburger. He's been with, talking about that all uh, afternoon. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I go down to San Francisco or down, go down to L.A. just <laughs> yeah, for that reason. <laughs> so there are things you can't get out of your kitchen. And those are the reasons to go out. And also just the, the social connection, too. And sometimes you'll get yeah, just get. It's great. The, 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 the thing that you want to do is cook so much that you say, you know, I've cooked my last 10 meals at home. I think I'm going to go out and treat myself. And then yeah. it, you will really, really enjoy it and be able to afford something that's worth going out for. Okay, I'm talking about something in between right now, which is it's neither a fine dining experience nor a fine home dining experience, in or out. It's just I am bitchy, and it is 8 p.m., and I really <laughs> – I just got to eat something and get on with my – and I've got 17 emails to answer, and it's just like I need some good food. Soup in the fridge, Thank money you. in the bank. Thank you. Okay. That's it. That's so beautiful. <laughs> so I want to say that one of the things I started doing since, far be it for me to not be part of that group, because I am uh, sometimes, um, I plan for that. I plan yeah. for it. The, I, I, I have been saying for years, and I feel more convinced of this than ever, that to eat well and to, uh, to cook well involves, the, the whole commitment you make by shaking your own hand, it involves planning. And it also and involves I, setting traps for yourself, too. It involves planning, and having the food in the house is 90% of it. So that means that once or twice or three times a month, you make a list of a reasonable number of dishes that you want to make and the shopping list to make sure you have the ingredients in the house. You have a few cooking sessions. And when I have my cooking sessions and my shopping sessions, I actually plan for the nights I know I'm not going to want to cook. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, hmm, this week I'm going to be getting home late from I have to go to this and I have to be there and I have to commute to this. And I plan ahead to have, um, to have that ready in the house. Just, just, you know, it just helps to plan ahead, knowing, admitting that you're going to be in that kind of state at some points. I want to start answering your question, though, the literary question, because mm-hmm. it's so flattering to food writers to be considered to be an, an under a literary roof. Because we're really kind of, Im- in a way, we're both, of course, wonderful writers, but we're kind of imposters cause, because f- cookbooks, at the end of the day, are really technical manuals with a personal voice. Because uh, these aren't technical instructions in here that really need to work. They need to work because you're, going, you're taking our word for something. You're going out and spending your good money on our ingredients. And um, it's, it's, it's a, as my grandma used to say, it's a sin to waste food. So these things, this has to be a technical... Uh, walkthrough that is very, 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 very accurate. Um, so one thing that is important to me when I'm writing mm-hmm. a recipe is that the language has to be uniform. Um, in, in, in cookbook edit, in the cookbook editing world, we call it having a style sheet. So I'm going to not say a pinch of salt in one recipe. I mean, actually, in my original moosewood, I said everything every which way, and it, there was nothing consistent. Um, right. But that was a long time ago, uh, and the ingredients weren't even in the order of appearance. Well, and style, style has changed, yeah, though. But now it's consistent yeah. so that if I... Also, because I know that you don't have the bandwidth to be figuring out... She said a pinch of salt in this recipe, but she said a quarter of a teaspoon of salt. What's the... I mean, so I'm trying to be extremely consistent. If I'm saying put the pan on the stove, blah, 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 blah. I mean, there's more to say about how I put the pan on the stove because I put it on the stove differently now than I used to. Um, and that's another question I hope you'll ask. Uh, but so the, the language has to be concise inconsistent. Otherwise, some people who are very literal might think that it's two different instructions, whereas it's the same thing being said twice. So you've got to save your poetry for the places where it doesn't affect the person's perception of the instructions. That means in the head notes, when you can talk about your grandmother all you want. But you cannot be talking about your grandmother in the middle of the recipe, or you will lose people. I think you can. Well, let let me just say my whole thing. Let me say my whole thing, and then you can say yours. Um, I'm very... 
I personally am very aware that people are, especially with the beginning thing, really, there's some anxiety about coming up with the final uh, result of the recipe. And so I, I A, try to keep the instructions uh, consistent, and I also try to keep them relevant. Uh, so, and, and I don't want to leave too much room for guesswork. So for example, I try to put a dis descriptions in there so people will, will know what to expect. Um, if, there's ever a, if there's ever a range of choices, I'm not going to assume that you have the same take on cooking, or the same experience as I do. So I, I will, I promise you, and, and write to me, uh, write angrily to me if I, if I haven't done this, I, but I promise you that I have at least attempted to, whenever I give a little range of time, for example, put it on the stove over medium heat for five to eight minutes. I promise I will not leave you in the five to eight minute mystery lurch. Like, is it five minutes or is it eight minutes? Like, which is it? And why and what? So if I'm going to give you a range, for example, this is the technical, my, my technical kind of commitment. If I'm going to give you a range, I'm going to give you a second instruction after that that tells you what to look for. So I will never write five to eight minutes, period. Good luck. Goodbye. <laughs> no, five to eight minutes or until. And then I put a visual descriptive in there until it's starting to be brown around the edges, until you smell the toasty smell, until mm -hmm. something happens, so that I'm teaching you what to look for if you're not, if you're not an experienced cook. So I have a commitment to, to that and to getting you all the way through. The other thing I have a commitment to in this book in particular, and I might continue to do this because I like the way it worked in here, um, I, I do think, as I said a little while ago, that if the ingredient list is too long, that we have a kind of visual psychological meltdown and we go, it's like looking at, I don't know how many of you are, of you are musicians, um, but if you're looking at a, at, a, at a written music where there's the staff, for some reason, if there's a lot of black, like a lot of bars, <laughs> like 16th notes and 32nd notes and 64th notes, Too you go, oh my notes. God, it looks, like it's, it's, it looks like very hard music. Like I'm a piano pianist and I, and I, I'm like a terrible sight reader, and if I see all the black bars, I go, oh my god. Um, and the same thing, I think, with the list of ingredients, if it's really long, people are going to go, oh geez, you know, I don't know if I'm going to and, and so I, what I've done, uh, starting with this book, is I break out any ingredient that's not essential to the recipe. That's a maybe, like an option, like maybe it would be nice to add a little bit of cinnamon, but it's not, but the basic recipe doesn't need the cinnamon. Or just things you could take it in this direction, or take it in the, the tra-la-la, Additions like tra la la, I think la la la, but the but the basic uh, kind of structure, I've actually physically separated them in this book. So so in this list um, is is the structural. This is what you need to make the dish. Over here in a section called get creative is the list of what you could do if you felt like it beyond that. But I've broken it out so it's not in the same place. So visually you won't melt down. Uh, you might still actually, but uh, that I, I will have done my best to prevent it. Okay, your turn. I, I think you've covered it so brilliantly. Um, I, I just think that clarity, uh, absolute clarity is important because you don't want to um, have people get, be in there, you know, uh, up to their elbows in what they're doing and then get muddled and have it be my fault because I didn't <laughs> tell them what to do, you know. <laughs> they believed me and went forward. Um, I, I, I think clarity is very important, but style has really changed. And uh, I wrote my first cookbook, The Vegetarian Epicure, when I was in college. And I was about, I don't know, I was like 20 or 21 or something when I was doing that. And I knew nothing about style sheets or any of the rest of it. I was just writing down what I was doing. And, and Judith Jones was a wonderful editor. Um, and she 
really wanted to keep the sense of the voice, <laughs> you know, and there was not nearly as much technical editing then, and I think Molly will agree that that's really changed now. I realized that it's part of this thing that we were talking about, about the home cooking, because people would bring a lot of just sort of experience and intuitive knowledge and stuff they'd absorbed by osmosis to the recipe with them. And now you have a lot of people who are coming to a recipe and, you know, welcome. Thank goodness they're coming and opening that book and looking at that recipe, but they maybe don't have all that sort of fill-in stuff to bring to it. And Maria was explaining this to me and she said, you've really got to tell people, you can't just say deglaze the pan, you know, with a little broth or wine. You have to say, what does it mean to deglaze a pan? And you've got to do it every time in every recipe, you know? So the challenge then becomes to write a recipe in a way that does not sound too intimidating and overly full of detail, and yet gives you all the information that you need, and really gives you all the information even if you haven't cooked a lot before. So each recipe, in a sense, becomes what Julia Child used to call a teaching recipe. And that's sort of a little more the, the style sheet, I, I would say, now in a good book. But I also think another very important thing, and this is why I think it is okay to mention your grandmother in the middle of the recipe if you want to, is to give people a sense of um, that you're there with them and that there's an openness about it and a sense of what it looks like, what it feels like, what it tastes like, what it smells like. Sort of keep bringing that in a little bit. Because I like to give people the freedom. I, I give them all the information they need, I think. I try. I really try. But I like to give them permission all the time to just make it your own. You know, it's, it's, it's my recipe on the page, I tell people, but it's your soup in the pot. Do whatever you want and use it as a guide. And so I'm always making little suggestions or leaving something saying, well, this is what I do, but you could do this, and, you know, sort of giving people permission to just, um, you know, fly solo and do whatever they like, because that's really the fun of cooking. Mm -hmm. That's great. You well, there's, know? there's something else that you made me think of, building on what you're saying. By the way, you've, the two editors that Anna just mentioned are, like, the two most legendary cookbook editors, uh, Judith and Maria. They're really, like, the grand dames. Um, so Could not be more different, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but still, those are those are the two classics, um, the two icons. Um, this might sound. Uh, we were talking technical, so I was going to say this might sound technical, and it is. Uh, I it's very very important to me, and it always has been, to um, limit myself as much as I can to ingredients that I think people can actually find, and I try to write for people who live in all parts of the country rather than just people who live in more um, sophisticated uh, urban settings that have more ethnic markets and, and things like that. Um, it's changed a lot. When I started writing my first cookbooks, I was in high school when I started writing my cookbooks. And That's scary. Seasonal, I know. Seasonal, so seasonal yes. ingredients were so uh, regional and seasonal. I mean, they really, you, I, I remember when I first came out to California from upstate New York to, uh, to go to school, and I was I was always working on a cookbook, and I was working on a cookbook then, and it was winter, and I would call my mother in upstate New York to see what she could find in her supermarket produce department in February in Rochester, New York. That was because that they they had you know cabbage, <laughs> onions, and delicious apples, and maybe some citrus, and that was about it. Um, 
and, or potatoes. But it, it, there wasn't this kind of all things all available all year round in all places. Um, but produce aside, um, just supermarket ingredients, I have seen celebrity chefs write cookbooks where in an, an ingredient in one recipe might be, and I've seen this, 50-year-old balsamic vinegar. And that's an ingredient in a recipe, and I'm and I'm thinking, and yes, and uh, are you uh, are you going to tell us now, or do I hear any alternative? Cookbook no. for hedge fund managers. <laughs> Does it come with the cookbook? That's what I want to know. <laughs> right. So I, you know, and, and I I have received some criticism from some more sophisticated colleagues who are who were a little upset that mm -hmm. I made a, a, quite a few years ago, I made a pod Thai recipe that didn't have um, ingredients from a Thai supermarket. In, and they had ingredients for, from a Thai supermarket as options, but I, I made them, I, I, I made a perfectly f fine, passable pod Thai with just regular uh, supermarket ingredients. That again was before they had the imported foods section of the grocery stores with mm -hmm. all the Thai kitchen products. But I just, I've just always had a commitment to trying to, mm, without compromising the recipe, to keep the denominator, the common denominator, um, as accessible as possible. Um, and again, I think that's one of the things, oh gosh, I shouldn't say this. It's this, the Rick, Rick, Rick should be the one to say this. Uh, but well, that's what makes us. can't read my mind. But that's, Anne and I have talked about this. We, that's what, m we, we feel like we really do write for real human beings in their kitchens and not for our colleagues to be impressed with us. Oh, I and am as totally a, matter of fact, a our regular home cook. are not impressed with us at all. Well. <laughs> <laughs>